0: You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit the springmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. For freedom, Christ has set us free. That's what it says in Galatians 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And Paul is talking to a group of people who don't really understand freedom, uh, who have confused freedom and captivity and think that following Jesus is something that involves a a variety of different rules and regulations. And um, he's really trying to help them to understand that when, when Jesus sets you free, he really sets you free. And the truth is you and I like that idea. Like we like the idea of being free. We live in the land of the free. Uh, It's a really important value to us as a society and a culture. Like, if there was ever a thing that mattered to us right and left, it's freedom. We just have very specific ideas of what that means. But basically, an abstract idea that no one can tell me what to do. And that sounds amazing. Independence. right? We have a day, and we light fireworks. This is amazing. We celebrate it every year. And the Bible would actually say that freedom is not so much about independence, but about dependence. It's not so much an abstract idea, but like a location. Uh, much more like a place you could go, like Seattle, like a real place, but even more real than Seattle. Uh, it's, it's like a mansion you could go to with a lot of different rooms where you could live. It's, it's a kingdom you could be a part of, where you could become a citizen of. Uh, freedom is a, a thing that is difficult to find. It's a narrow road and a, a hard path that leads to it. There are few who find it, Jesus says. But he is, in fact, the way and the truth and the life, the path to freedom in that way. So it's dependence on Jesus that ultimately leads uh, to freedom from any other sense of control or authority in our lives, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter eight, Luke eight today? We start in a verse twenty-six. Luke eight twenty-six for freedom, Christ has set us free. Then they, Jesus and the disciples, arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out onto land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man, entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swineherd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and the country. And people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to see Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it, told how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would use these words, you breathe them onto the page by your spirit so long ago, that you would breathe them off the page and into our lives, that we would hear the freedom that you have called us to, Lord, that we would be able to distinguish it from any other false claim, and that we would live into the new life that you've got for us, in the name of Jesus, amen. This is a ghost story in the Bible, which is kind of fun. It doesn't necessarily sound like it. It's a dark and stormy night. So right before this story happens, Jesus and his disciples are in a boat, and there's a crazy storm, and Jesus is asleep, and the disciples are you know, drowning, and they go and they wake Jesus up, and he, shh. and then the storm stops, and everyone is blown away that the shush didn't just work on the disciples, but on the storm, and they're dripping wet, and there's no more wind, and there's no more waves, and and they're sort of blown away by who this guy is in the boat with them. But they're really just tired because the middle of the night, and they just they want the boat to land and they want to light a fire and they want to camp and they want to dry out and sleep for a few hours before the sun comes up. And so the boat gets to land and they start you know, pulling out provisions and, and setting things up and getting ready with camp and, and the fire's been lit and people are sort of getting ready. And all of a sudden Jesus takes a foot and steps out of the boat. And the instant it touches land, there's this unholy shriek in the distance. And they see on a hillside, this graveyard, and a silhouette standing in the middle of it. And all of a sudden they hear this sort of rasping of metal. And the figure disappears below the horizon. And the hair on the back of their necks stand up, and the disciples think, we've got to get back in this boat. And they hear something coming at them in the dark. And it's moving faster, and it's definitely getting louder and the was like this is there's something evil coming at us all of a sudden in the darkness and they're just about ready to run away when all of a sudden the figure enters the firelight and leaps at Jesus and lands at his feet and cries out in a mostly human voice please don't hurt me what what just happened? That's a crazy story. You're the disciples, you're with Jesus, you're like, what is going on? Who is this guy that we are with that evil things feel the need to come nearby and like bow down and respect him? That what is this? And there's this huge lesson for the disciples that's totally understated in the story that anything that scares you, no matter how big, no matter how terrifying in the world in which we live, will bow down at the feet of Jesus. There is nothing that can threaten you, nothing as dangerous as the God that we follow. But then, right, that fear that turns to pity, you see this man who's naked except for chains on his wrists and his ankles and around his neck, whose body is beaten up and bruised and scratched, who lives in a graveyard like an animal, like something dead, who has come to Jesus, and he looks at Jesus and says, please don't torture me. And you just have to think, how could your life get worse? Right, like, you're a nude man with chains who lives in a graveyard. How much lower are you going to get? Like, what can Jesus meaningfully take away from you? And for those of us who've been reading this story at all, who know anything about Jesus, you go, ah, that's not really kind of, he's just not, he would torture you. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, that's so out, of char- so out of character for who he is. And there's this real sense in which this demon-possessed man has no idea what freedom really looks like. No idea where to find it. He can't tell the difference between freedom and captivity. He is just completely lost. There's a zoo veterinarian I knew some years ago who loved to tell stories. And one of the stories he liked to tell was about how um, law enforcement agents don't know what to do with big animals or exotic animals. And so usually, like if you bust a drug dealer and he has a couple of tigers, they just give them to the zoo. Like they're the zoo's problem. But these aren't like normal tigers that have been raised correctly. So it's a real problem for the zoo. And at one point the FBI captured uh, 37 raptors. So these are birds of prey from a smuggling ring. So these are, you know, eagles and hawks and falcons. Very dangerous birds. And they just give them to the zoo and they're now the zoo's problem. And so this veterinarian is sort of figuring out what to do. And for a while the FBI really cares because these birds are evidence in a big case. But then as the case starts to resolve, they don't care about the birds anymore, and they treat them very much the same way you would treat drug evidence. They want to destroy the birds, which obviously the veterinarian isn't a big fan of. And so he just forgets to close the cage one weekend and is gone for several days. And the, you know, the doors are open and the windows are open. It's not like a normal exhibit. No one's visiting this. So he comes back on a Monday, and sure enough, all of the doors and the, all the holes are still there but there are 37 birds inside the cage. <laughs> and he's like, I'm sort of committing a crime. So like, this is a very big deal, and he's trying to like now scare these not-so-wild, wild animals out of the cage that have lots of sharp things all over there, but they're very good at you know, attacking you. So he's sort of trying to scare them out of the, and most of them leave the enclosure, and they're not flying away. They're in like the landscape plants of the zoo. They're like perched on a bush, like this huge bald eagle, or like in a a Palo Verde tree, or like just in the path, like a massive bird of prey just standing on the ground. And then it just sort of skips away like a pigeon, and he's trying to scare these birds. And there's this weird moment where he realizes these birds can't tell the difference between freedom and captivity. They just don't know, they can't tell the difference. And in fact, they're so comfortable in captivity, they're so used to it, that they don't think freedom is even possible. Now, you and I have that same problem a lot when it comes to actually following Jesus. We have heard that there's this gospel. We have heard about grace. We believe that there's a possibility of freedom. And a lot of the time, what we end up doing is sort of shrinking that back down to a really large cage. To like, well, I can do a lot of things that Jesus makes me do. Like, Jesus, you know, controls my life and I have to sort of check off all these lists and then, then God will like me. And Jesus says, no, you just kind of like you can go live your life, you can fly away. and No, 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 like this is obviously like there's a catch, like that's just not how this really works. Like an abused spouse that doesn't realize like you, can, you really can leave. Like a person who's stuck in an addiction and can't seem to walk away from it. And the truth is a lot of the time when we deal with Jesus, not only do we have this kind of problem with like a religious version of captivity, we also have just the old problem of captivity itself, still in our lives. And we look at Jesus and he says, you're gonna need to forgive some people. And when you really let that go, you're going to find a lot of freedom in your life. You, listen, why are you trying to hurt me? I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to set you free from this thing that, that is really just crippling your life. No, why why are you trying to torment me? Jesus, look, I'm I'm not I'm not trying to I'm trying to tell you how to walk into freedom. You know, if you just kind of let go of some of this anger, if you let go of some of this gossip, if you start letting the, okay, so you want me to do a lot of things and then like then I'll be free. Like if only. No, I'm not, I'm not giving you a list of rules to follow. I'm really trying to, like, you could just, like, the cage is open. Like, you can go fly. You could go live your life. And this demon-possessed man is sitting at the feet of Jesus and sees him as a threat to his current existence. And all I can say is, this guy needs a threat to his current existence. He has a miserable existence. It would be great if that whole thing got turned upside down. You're nude wearing chains and living in a graveyard. Everyone hunts you like Frankenstein's monster. This is a terrible, miserable situation, and he seems to think that he's found freedom. He can't tell the difference. He's so thoroughly lost, he can't tell the difference between freedom and captivity. There is a decent chance that there is an area of your life where Jesus has been trying to invite you into freedom, and you see that as a threat And it is, but in a really, really good way. In the best possible way. Freedom is a threat only to captivity, but not to the health and the flourishing of the captive. Freedom is only a threat to the prison that we've been in. And sometimes we have a really big prison, and sometimes we have a really small one. And part of that has to do with the way that we try to protect ourselves in the world in which we live. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. But for some of us, we don't really know what freedom looks like. The world we live in doesn't really understand it. At the end of the story, we see this man, and he's been healed. He's in his right mind. He's wearing clothes for the first time, maybe ever. He's just sitting there, and all of these people come by, and they are very upset. It's a bizarre end to this story. We get distracted sometimes by the word demon, and so you don't really listen to the story. Everyone is upset that he's been healed, and we don't really know why. We don't really get it. There's, there's a lot of guesses, right? All of the pigs died. So that's, you know, not great for the economy. That's not a good situation for people who are kind of counting on the pigs. This is, this is hurting our bottom line. So clearly, money is more important than this man who has been really sick. Sure. But there's another reason. This guy had evil living inside of him that is now somewhere else. Before, we knew where it was. And it was sad for that guy, but the rest of us are doing great. Before, we could kind of control it, we could locate it, we could banish it to the graveyard, we could try to chain it up against a wall, but now it could be anywhere. And oh, by the way, if this guy has been healed and is in his right mind, that means he's human. That means it, it could have happened to me, it could have happened to anyone. And that, that means at some level that this guy is someone we probably shouldn't have treated in the way that we've been treating him, chaining him up to walls and treating him somewhat like Frankenstein's monster. And that means that he can actually tell stories about how we treated him and how we abused him and all the things that we've done. There is a reason this guy has trouble when meeting Jesus, believing there's such a thing as good power. There is a reason that this guy has trouble believing there's such a thing as good authority, that there is anyone who has his best interest in art, because anyone he's ever interacted with, who's ever had any power over him, who's ever been interested in dealing with the evil in him, has done that by chaining him against a wall, by chasing him out of town with pitchforks and torches. And the truth is you and I have lots of reasons, lots of reasons to be suspicious of authority in our time. We have all the time major corporations that are following us. There's literally an Apple commercial now about how people follow you. Google and Facebook, and by the way, a little bit Apple, and um, let's be honest, Amazon. They're always watching us all the time, and we make it very easy for them by giving them photos of our children so they can analyze them and our emails so they can read them, and our location data so they can track us. And we know that they're doing that all the time and we know that they're always trying to sell us something. And so when some offer comes along we go, well that's not free. When they say, oh you could do this, we go, well that's obviously manipulative. And we've learned to just be thoroughly cynical about any and everything that comes our way. Because anyone who has any authority, anyone who has any power is obviously out to gain something. Obviously has an ulterior motive. Obviously there's a catch. Obviously they are up to no good. These are the people that you and I are trying to have conversations with about the freedom that they have in Christ. And they hear us offering it and they go, I see. So like, when do we get to the thing where you like, like make money off of me? I see. So when do we get to the thing where you like try to control and oppress me and like force me into some kind of a box and you go, actually, you're already living in the box. You don't realize it actually, you're already a captive. You don't realize it. See the demon possessed man has found something that sets him free from society. It's not the freedom you would want, but it always gives him the power to escape the control and the authority of other people. That's the one benefit. So it gives him a larger cage than the one other people want to put him in. So that's why he's so attracted to this sort of inverse kind of freedom. Because it gives him some kind of power. I've told you from time to time, I have this problem with cynicism. It's this real issue in my life, and for a long time it felt like a good thing in my life because it kept me safe. It kept me safe from people who were, you know, going to try to make a fool out of me. It kept me safe from kind of the gullibility. It kept me safe from from trusting people. It kept me safe from, from trusting people. It kept me safe from, you know, being in love. It kept me safe from having healthy, whole relationships. It kept me safe from those really dangerous things that actually a lot of people really want in life. The gospel has slowly and steadily been revealing to me how dangerous that is in my life. But the truth is, we all have issues. We all have sins that stick with us, that are sort of self-reinforcing things. Right? Cynicism has this problem, which is anytime I try to get you to doubt your cynicism, you go, so what are you trying to do to me? Right? And so it's just inevitable. Pride has this problem. When you say you're kind of proud, you go, well, you're just kind of jealous. And that becomes self-reinforcing. You have this problem with envy. Well, and you have this problem with gossip. Well, you have this problem with And at some level, we all have these things that we cling to because they make us feel powerful and they make us feel safe and they stop other people out there from trying to control us. And the truth is they also stop us from walking into the freedom that Jesus has for us. Sin, in our time and in our culture, is a way of finding freedom. And the way the gospel would talk about it, sin destroys your freedom. But the challenge is there's this big lie. There's this big lie. There's an evil voice that wants us to believe a really big lie. And I know the story brings up demons, and I know that's super weird, right? We live in 21st century in America. I'm not, like, immune to that. I studied science in school. I got good grades. I like science. I like a materialist, rationalist view of the universe. I do. And the thing is, the Bible really likes a rational universe all the time. It just also allows for things beyond what we see and touch and taste. It also allows for a supernatural reality. And little by little in life, I've come to trust the Bible on this, and not the culture in which I live, because I actually do believe that good and evil are real things. And the way the Bible would say it, those are not impersonal forces sort of emanating out in the universe. They are always personal forces. Always. There's no such thing as good like gravity. There's good people. There's good things. There's no such thing as evil like gravity. There are evil people. There are evil beings. There's evil out there in the world. And little by little, if we learn to listen to the Bible on this subject, we may actually find that it can show us a way to freedom. It can, it can give us this, this path. But if you don't really like the idea of paying attention, the truth is, at some level, you can just say, there is a voice in this guy's life that wants him to not listen to Jesus. And we all have a voice like that in our life. That says, there's some, you... Uh, You cannot trust God. That is one of the oldest lies in human history. It is, in fact, the oldest lie in the book of Genesis. God is not trustworthy. You can't believe him. He's not going to give you a path to freedom. He's up to something. He's trying to control you. He's stopping you from being all that you can be, stopping you from really actualizing and experiencing the freedom that you really want in life. If you turn away from God, you'll find freedom. That is the first lie in this story. Why are you going to torment me? says the demon, for the benefit of the man and everybody listening. Never trust a demon. This is just an obvious kind of a sentence, but never trust a demon. We live in a time where demons are actually doing very well in pop culture. You watch a horror movie or a TV show or read a comic book, demons are all over the place. And there's just enough Christianity, just enough Christianity for you to see that the demon is all powerful like, there's a cross, but it doesn't work. Or there's a priest, but he's, you know, an idiot. And so little by little, you're like, oh, man, like this demon's just going to destroy everyone. I hope those teenage kids with their swords can do something. Oh, I hope that punk kid, like, that's, that's the horror movie, and you're just, you're just kind of rooting maybe for humanity in the midst of a truly evil universe. We've taken just enough of the Bible so we can have evil, but not enough so that we can have good. And I think that's really interesting in our pop culture. And at one point, I was watching a trailer for a movie. And there was a cop interviewing a guy who's clearly possessed by demons. And he's sitting in a chair. And the guy says, what's your name? And he says, Legion, which is a direct quote from this story. This is a horror movie made just a few years ago. Legion. And I was watching it. And there were actually a couple of pastors in the room We were watching TV. And so I look at him like, ridiculous, right? Meaning like, ridiculous that they would use the Bible in this way. And they go, yeah, you should never trust a demon. And I was like, that was not what I meant about the, like, I mean, I just meant, like, this is really, like, no, this is a very serious, you should never trust the demon. That guy is up to no good. And you're like, that's because he's trying to signal that he has a certain kind of power. He's trying to signal that he has a certain kind of identity and and a, a kind of a, well, that he's up to something. And that he really is able to shape the story that he's a part of. The second lie that the demon tells in this story, right? Jesus says, what's your name? And the demon responds. The man doesn't respond. The demon does what's your name? Legion, because there are lots of us. The man has so thoroughly lost his identity that he identifies with the demons. And there's, by the way, a crowd of demons. A legion is 5,600 soldiers in the Roman army. So that's apparently he's saying, like, there's an army of us inside you, keeping this guy safe. And this guy doesn't have a name anymore. He doesn't have an identity anymore. And that actually is one of the ways in our culture we try to stay safe, We go, well, the world will give me an identity that I can hang on to. Or the world is trying to give me an identity, and I know who I really am, and I'm going to build an identity all for myself. And it's going to have to be strong enough to deal with all the people out there who are going to try and control me or define me or any of those other things. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting to try and build an identity for yourself, and it never really seems to work. And you do know that there are all these kind of special interest folks out there saying, well, you know, you identify as this and I get to define what that is, or you identify as this and I get to define what this is, and, you, and I get to have kind of an agenda for you. You're now kind of a part of this in this way. And at some level, what Jesus is offering this man is a brand new identity. What he offers every one of us is a brand new identity. What you don't get to do is come to Jesus and say, this is who I am, bless it, and also I would like freedom. That's not how freedom works. What you say to Jesus is, look, I don't know who I am. Give me a brand new identity. I don't know who I am. I don't know how to get out of this. I need a brand new identity. I'm so thoroughly lost. Give me a new version of me. And every single person, every single person who comes to Jesus that way, finds that he gives you a brand new identity. And he calls you loved. And he calls you son. And he calls you daughter, he calls you redeemed, he calls you forgiven, over and over and over again, we get this brand new identity in Christ. One that is meant to set us free. One that absolutely challenges any other identity anyone would give us, including ourselves. The third lie in the story, the third barrier to freedom in this man's life, the thing that the demons say, right, is, please don't send us to the abyss. But remember, the man and the demons are the same in his mind. Jesus can tell the difference, but very few other people can. So he's saying at some level, I don't want to go, like, don't destroy all of us, because that, of course, is what the demons want you to believe. That, of course, is what evil wants you to believe, about how God sees you. God sees you not as someone he dearly loves, who's broken and tarnished by sin, who's in deep need of freedom, who's stuck in a cage. God sees you as worthless. God sees you as someone who needs to be thrown away, thrown into some deep, dark pit. And that, of course, is an absolute lie. The thing that we hear in the gospel is time and time again, when God sees you, he says, Wow, you're broken. Let me heal you. Wow, you're lost. Let me find you. Wow, you need saving. Let me save you. God does not deal with us the way that people expect a God to deal with us. God deals with us not in the way that we deserve to be dealt with. God, when he sees us, does not see evil people who really need to be punished God sees sons and daughters who need to be saved. God sees people lost in the wilderness who have no way out, and he says, I will come and I will guide them. I will come and I will show them the way. We can't tell the difference between freedom and slavery because there are so many other voices we're listening to. And we're not listening to the voice of Jesus. We're not listening to the voice of Jesus who will give us a brand new identity. We're not listening to the voice of Jesus who tells us, not only are we not going to be punished, we're going to be loved and given grace and riches beyond our wildest dreams. We're not listening to Jesus because we don't trust him. And there's another word for trust in the Bible, and it's faith. Time and time again, the word faith is not, I believe, a set of beliefs. That's not what it is. I have this same set of ideas about the world. Faith is much more like, I know who Jesus is, and I trust him. I know who Jesus is, I've put my life in his hands. I know who Jesus is, and I believe that he's the only one who is not lost. And I believe that I am lost, and if I give my life to him, he will know what to do. I don't know what to do, he will know what to do. So we don't know the difference between captivity and freedom. We, we don't really know who we are because there's so many other voices kind of competing for our attention and, and really trying to control us and manipulate us. And this man in this story, he has this real challenge, right? Am I going to listen to everyone who's ever tried to define me? Am I going to listen to the, the voice in my own head that's telling me I'm worthless? Or am I going to listen to this person who I don't really know very well? but who I feel compelled to talk to, who I genuinely seem to believe has a word for my life, even though in the midst of it all, I'm not sure that I like the word that he's going to say. Do I think that he knows the way to freedom? This is a choice that you and I all have, not just when we come to know Jesus, but all of the time. There's this uh, guy named Chris Green who talks about this in his book, Surprised by God. He says, where we too often find ourselves is believing strongly but in misunderstandings of God's Word. We trust God as provider, but we rely on our own sense of need. We trust God as healer, but we assume we know what health is. We trust God as deliverer and protector, but expect the deliverance to come on our own terms and in our own time. In these and in countless other ways, we are so much of the time taxed by false expectations and bad desires waiting on God to do what God is not going to do, at least not in the way we expect it to be done. And so we move from suffering to suffering, from frustration to frustration, from disappointment to disappointment, not because God is unfaithful, but because our expectations of God are stubbornly perverse. We don't seem to know who he is, and the only way we're going to know who he is if we start to trust him. At the end of the story, right, there's been this confrontation between Jesus and this man, and he's been set free. And we see very clearly what these evil voices want for him, right? Well, they please don't send us in the abyss, and so Jesus makes them come out of him, and they show their true colors immediately. They go into some pigs, and they kill all the pigs. We go, that's what they've been trying to do to this man. They've been just trying to wreck and destroy him, and now they have an opportunity to destroy other of God's creatures, and that's what they want. Relentless destruction of all that God loves. Meanwhile, what we see is this God who loves and wants to set people free, and a crowd of people that views him with suspicion and distrust because he's doing things that they don't really like, and he's setting people free, and they don't, he's upsetting the status quo, and they go, would you, just, would you just leave? Can you get out of here? That's the way a surprising number of people relate to Jesus, because he's always challenging the, the understanding that we have of reality. Not one in which people are lost and need to be found. Not one in which people don't know the way to freedom and are actually captives. They can't seem to find their way out of the cage. But one in which we go, well, I'm already free. I'm already good. I'm already doing a great job at my life. I just have a couple of issues here, here, and here. If God would kind of give me some of those nice spiritual things sometimes, but if I could live my life exactly the way that I've got it, well, that would be great. That's what I'm looking for. And Jesus says, it doesn't work that way. And you go, see, I knew there was a catch. And there's no catch. It's just it literally doesn't work that way. You can't be free and say, but I'd like to spruce up this corner of the cage. That's not freedom. You just have a nicer area within your enclosure. He's trying to say, leave. Leave. Get out of the cage, live a brand new kind of life. And at the end of the story, the man still seems confused. He's saying, I want it like, can I be with you all the time, always? And Jesus goes, well, I mean, you've, you've been, you should go out and tell other, like, you should go live your life. Go tell everyone else what God has done with you, what, what everyone else what God has done for you. Go proclaim in this village that actually things don't have to operate by the rules that they've got. You can remain as a witness against them. You can be a witness for the gospel among a group of people that are still living captive lives and just tried to get rid of Jesus because the problem with Jesus is he keeps showing everybody that they live in a cage. There's a, this is a compass. And a compass is a really interesting device, Right? It only really works by helping you to see that there's up from down, and there's right and wrong, there's lost and there's found, there's true north and there's other directions. And it works because it is sensitized right, to the force that is all around us all of the time. And so it would tell me that north is that way. But the problem with a compass is they can become corrupt. In fact, they often are. This one's actually a little bit wrong. And it happens because you keep a compass in your pocket and it's close to you, and you're a source of electromagnetic radiation. And it's close to a cell phone, and that's a source of electromagnetic And little by little, it's around all these false magnets that don't really point any direction. So little by little, your compass starts to be wrong. And so if I said to you, that's north, you'd go, you're wrong. And I'd say, how dare you? How dare you? How dare you try to tell me my direction in life? How dare you try to tell me I don't know which way I'm going in life? How dare you try to pretend that you have this privileged position where you know the right way to go and you think that I'm lost and that you're found. And no matter how much you try to explain this, listen, I'm going exactly the way I mean to. And you're right. You are going exact, And paradoxically, you will be exactly where you want to be in life and it will also not be where you want to be in life. You will be both lost and where you meant to be. And it's this weird paradox the Bible regularly bears witness to. What the Bible will say is that there is no one whose heart points to true north. No one except Jesus Christ. Every single one of us is lost all the time. Every single one of us is confused on the direction to freedom. And the nice thing about a compass is if your surroundings are crazy and you can't quite know the way, you still aren't lost. You still know which way to go. And if there's a path that looks easy but actually heads the wrong direction, you know not to take it. And so the amazing thing that we have in Jesus is a guide, someone whose heart always points in the right direction. But the crazy thing about what we have in Jesus is we also have this sort of witness against the world that that our hearts don't always point in the right directions, which is a really challenging thing to point out. But the truth is, most religions through time and most philosophies through time would all agree with that, not all Christian ones. We'd say, look, the human heart is tricky, and it doesn't always point in the direction of good things. And sometimes you're attracted to stuff that's not good for you. And sometimes you are desiring things that are not good for you, and you're going to need to learn to control those desires. And there's lots of different things that people would say about ways to do that. But the truth of the Bible is that it would say there's, there's really no way for you to control it. There's only one way for you to kind of get this thing fixed, and that's to spend time in the presence of Jesus. Because not only does his heart point north, but actually if you spend enough time with Jesus, little by little your compass will correct, because you can calibrate these things. If you put this near a magnet that actually knows the difference between north and south, little by little it will point correctly. More and more, you'll start to point in the right direction. More and more, you'll do a little bit better. What the Bible says is that everyone's conscience is corrupt. Everybody's compass points the wrong direction. Everybody's desires are corrupt. Everybody's desires point the wrong direction. And some people, those desires point in a really religious direction, which works really well because you go, look how respectable I am. And that's great because you're still lost. And the thing is, what you really need more than anything else is to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. And that's one of the reasons we show up to worship on a Sunday morning. Because worship has a way of kind of correcting our compass, helping us point in the right direction. That's one of the reasons we pray and read scripture on a regular basis. Because we read this book and we know that this has the words of life and it starts to put us on the right path more and more and more and more. And it's one of the reasons we know that we need to spend time at the foot of the cross. Because the cross is like this ridiculous magnet that always points in the direction of the kingdom of God, that always knows the way to true north. And little by little, as our hearts get kind of attracted to this, they stop being attracted to the other things. Now, I'm confident I'm confident that right now you know that your compass is occasionally pointed at the wrong thing. That you occasionally chase the wrong thing that you get lost, badly lost in the wilderness. And the more lost you are, the more you can start to look like this guy in this story and you look at Jesus and you go, who are you to tell me that my compass doesn't point the right direction? What are you going to do to me? How are you going to hurt me? Why are you trying to steal my identity? Why are you trying to hurt why are you going to punish me for this? And all along the way, Jesus is looking at a naked person with chains on their body who's really beaten up, who lives in a graveyard, and saying, it doesn't have to be like this. I could change your life. I could set you free. I could put you in the right direction. I could point your heart toward north again. Friends, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Why did Christ set us free? Freedom. Freedom. Why did Christ set us free? Freedom. Freedom. He didn't set us free so that we become respectable religious people. That was not the goal. He didn't set us free so that we could like ruin our lives and kind of take things away from us. He didn't set us free so that we could become some other version of slaves. He set us free so that we could be free. Why did Christ set us free? free. Let's pray, Lord Jesus.